0: and welcome to Radical Research, episode 52 on Mars Volta octahedron. We will be getting to that momentarily. Thanks for joining us for another round of radicality. Is that a word?
1: It is not. We live in a world where um, words can be made up on the spot and added to the lexicon.
0: Okay, well, radicality then is officially a word now. This is my co-host and friend and incredibly articulate gentleman, Hunter Ginn. Out of the gate, we want to thank some people for their recent support. This includes Andrew Sather, Oliver Santos Gomez, Henrik Idem-Kirka, Michael Knowles, Kyle Lind, Ben Simpkins, and uh, indeed all of you who tune in. And we appreciate you more than we can say. Before we get going, Hunter, uh, we have two things to talk about. You had texted me earlier this week saying we need to talk about Epitaph. And I want to talk about Steve Zimmerman. Okay. We've talked about Steve Zimmerman, the original drummer for Fate's Warning, quite a bit and uh, over the years and um, in various terms. I've always liked him and I think it's well known that maybe he's not the technical showman that Mark Zonder is, his replacement in Fate's Warning. But in my last listen to Awaken the Guardian, which I am starting to think is maybe my favorite metal record of all time, won't surprise anybody that knows me. Um, I think Zimmerman's fantastic on it, and I wouldn't want anybody else on it. And I think he even makes some crafty choices in terms of certain snare hits and certain patterns, uh, certain accents that he uses throughout the album. I really tuned into his playing on this listen more than ever. Just wanted to get your take on him on that album as a drummer.
1: I think he has a very personal style. I agree with you that, in fact, I would say that maybe his lack of technical facility gives him more freedom to do really, really idiosyncratic things around the kit. Like you said, these really oddly placed accents, um, patterns that might not make sense to a train drummer like Zonder. Um, and, you know, we keep bringing this up with like, it's, it's sort of the, the Lars Ulrich scenario, though, I, I, I think we can both agree that Steve Zimmerman's a much more capable drummer than Lars. Oh, yeah. But you, you wouldn't want to hear anybody else on. The, I would not want to hear Mark Zonder on Spectre Within.
0: Yeah, I think Spectre and Awaken, sorry to, to cut you off, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to lead you there, I think. Spectre and Awaken are these more earthy Fates albums. They're heavy, they're they're complex, they're very sophisticated, actually, but they're also very grounded. And I think Zonder, uh, is, is is a man of fine playing, and this is not what these albums need. They need that really bottom, heavy, thrusting, kind of pounding thing that Zimmerman gives amidst all that complexity that's happening with the guitar riffs and all that. Um, and and, and I just think he's crafty. I think he makes crafty choices throughout the album and doesn't get enough credit for it, which is why I bring it up.
1: I agree. And I mean, yeah, Zoller, um, Zoller just has a very, very light touch. I mean, you know, his introduction in the band with part of the machine. I mean, you're already dealing with a very, very different kind of drummer, but, and, and I wouldn't want to hear Zimmerman on, perfect symmetry or parallels but i wouldn't want to hear zonder on the earlier records either so right, uh, you right. know i think they both obviously have their have their place in the you know the fate's warning canon
0: all hail to zimmerman on fate's warnings 1986 album awaken the guardian i could just keep talking about it so let, cut me off let's talk about epitaph <laughs> we, be-
1: we better stop uh, talking about Awaken the Guardian because I've gone down this rabbit hole with you before.
0: Boo, <laughs> I, I stayed up uh late, late, late until uh, till three in the morning um a couple months ago talking with a good friend of mine here in Greensboro about Kisses the Elder and we were going on and on and on and on and on and on. Uh while his other guests um at that small gathering were trying to sleep upstairs. We were three AM talking about the elder. So I, I can go. I can go on and I and, and I and I shan't any longer. Um Epitaph.
1: Yeah, so um it, it's you know it's the news is out there now, but um uh, our good friend Matt Rozensky um is going to be putting out the epitaph demos that we covered back in our Unsigned Greats um episode, uh, Jamie King mixed them, and um just really really excited for the guys in the band that finally have this extraordinary music released and really excited you know s- selfishly to have um physical copies of it.
0: Uh, Matt actually offered me a free copy of the CD. I think you're getting one as well. Is he crediting us somehow to, in terms of like getting those two parties together or did he hook us up with, I, I can't remember how that rolled out, but I remember after that episode, we heard from Epitaph or a couple guys and um, somehow Matt then got involved and now we have the reissue. So I'm not trying to pat us on the back. I just I think that we were instrumental in some way in getting that thing
1: out there. As far as I understand, because I hung out with Matt at the Anna Cruces show back in December, and he and I talked at at length about Epitaph, and I I do believe um, that this relationship that they've now formed had its beginnings in in the episode that we did. Oh, good. Well, that that,
0: that feels really good when we can do something little like that. That's amazing. Let's get to the topic at hand. My last listen to Mars Volta's fifth album, Octahedron, was really significantly powerful. It, it just was one of those listens where you, you went deep and you experienced the album um, in a really profound way. And and I've, I've always had profound listens with this band. This is one of our very favorite bands, period. But this is Octahedron. This would turn out to be their penultimate album. And here they give us the slimmest and kind of most trim and perhaps most patient, unrushed version of themselves. And it loses nothing. It's still plenty to absorb. I believe this is their shortest album, and yet at 50 minutes, it's, you know, neither feels too short or too long. This, Hunter, is where we may split. I'm not doing this because of the Rage for Order, Operation Mind Crime controversy of episode 51. Um, I will say that uh, <laughs> uh, I believe this is the Eclipse Deloused in the Comatorium for me as my number one Mars Volta album.
2: Ooh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who loves it? I um I did not see that bomb
0: dropping. No, I'm confident, though. I, I say this with, with due consideration. Because I, I love De Laos so much. If I'm picking, if I'm getting picky, I think De Laos may have been better one song less. I'm not sure what song that would be. It's a, it's a length thing for me. It's an impact thing for me. And I think because of the nature of Octahedron and just how much I connect with the eight songs, kind of pushed it over the cliff for me and I'm, and I'm sorry are we are we still okay
1: we're still okay because thankfully octahedron is my second favorite mars volta record right
2: okay it,
1: however though um the line between octahedron and nocturnicate um is pretty permeable for me um, and i like since nocturnicate came out i have vacillated depending on mood between the two Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're very different records, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, like you said, this is the most patient um, Morris Volta album that we've ever gotten, but also probably the most tightly edited Morris Volta record that they ever released.
0: It's no Francis the Mute in that respect. <laughs> Although it's funny because like the songs are joined by segues. We won't listen to a lot of them, but we'll hear some evidence of that. But there is a lot of segueing going on. There is a lot of noise linking the songs or, 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 you know, atmosphere or ambience. It's still Mars Volta, but it was significant. I mean, here's the thing before we get in the first two songs, we're going to play those two together because they link so well, you know what I'm talking about, but they're coming off at this point. This is 2009. They're coming off the most intense, Breathless, what seems like the longest album uh, for sure in their career, the Bedlam and Goliath. love that album, love Goliath, I know you do too it's tough to take in one go it 's almost too much brilliance to handle uh, in, in one sitting, kind of like Kenzo Live, the Japanese band. I like that <laughs> uh, 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 Just a little diversion, people. Um, Hunter got up out of his seat watching this band Kenzo at Nearfest. I was right with him. They were slaying, they were playing one of the most fun empowering sets i think i've ever seen a band play and you got up because you almost couldn't handle the greatness the brilliance is this right or were you just it was
1: literally almost too much for me to handle i mean (laughs) really like there was so much to process i was in such awe like it it just like it overwhelmed me and i had to get up um the the real tragedy of this story is that (laughs) for, for some reason um mostly because i like comedy and um, because I like really bad music sometimes I stuck around for the entirety of the night area set. Now that's the one I walked out on. <laughs> but Jeff, they were playing to the biggest audience in the world. <laughs> it's great to be here playing in the biggest festival in the world.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh anyway, but so so your thoughts on Bedlam and Goliath before we get into here and sort of where that, that sits for volta and then where we get into octahedron
1: um it is sort of like the obscura of modern Prague. it is my least listened to morris volta record not because i don't love it but because it is so much to take and like you said there there's just like there's almost too much good stuff but it's also like almost unremitting in its intensity. Um, they brought on uh, a new drummer at the time, Thomas Pridgen, um, who also plays um, Octahedron, though in a, a much more subdued way. And he, in my opinion, overplays on that record. But it, it just adds to the mania of it. And uh, Mania
0: is a fantastic word for Goliath.
1: But, but I, I can tell you, when this album came out in '09, it was a welcome relief. Yeah,
0: definitely. And you know what's funny? Have you read the, the interviews or, or the quote or whatever from Cedric uh, Bixler-Zavala, the singer? He's he's called this a pop album before. Like People always wanted us to give them, them a pop album, so this is that. Um, and though I don't entirely agree, I, I totally see what he's trying to convey with that.
1: Yeah, so do I. I mean, it, it's just a very, very tightly written record. And it's just, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people, I think a lot, it was misunderstood. Um, but it's got as many hooks as any of the other Mars Volta records. It's just delivered in a different way. So, I'm, you know, let's
0: jump in. Let's play the end of the first track since we've been wrong, and then we'll play the beginning of the second track, Teflon. This is a real great one-two punch, one of my favorite openings on a Mars Volta record, and I include Teflon as that opening because that's really the, where they, they start really saluting and, and really taking it to the wall. And we'll discuss Mars Volta and all their intrigue on our return.
2: There's just so more time.
1: Volta's fifth album, Octahedron. The second song there, Teflon, is a top five Mars Volta song for me. Um, me Mars Volta is not what I would consider to be an immediate band by any stretch. But the first time I heard that song, I just fell in love with it. And it still has the same impact that it did then.
0: Yeah, same for me. Absolutely the same for me. Teflon is about as stripped down as we're going to hear Mars Volta. I can't think of another song in their catalog that's that direct, perhaps, yet it still has all the earmarks of Mars Volta. I mean, you know, let's just start with Omar Rodriguez Lopez. This is, this guy is um, in, in, in no small way a huge part of Mars Volta, if that makes sense. (laughs) He is, uh, you know, it's he and Cedric and this is, this is, you know, this is Mars Volta and they always list in the albums and this album was played by the Mars Volta band. They list Cedric, they list Omar and then they list everybody else. And that's not to diminish the contributions of anyone else. Um, But Omar just laying down these beautiful, like sort of phantasmagoric beds of kind of sweet, Gentle noise there, or or you know, just uh, just beautiful colors uh, by by the guitarist, and he's he's phenomenal. I mean, he's he's an effects guy, obviously. But what what can we say about Omar? It's almost what he brings to this band, uh, just aesthetically and texturally
1: yeah well and and I mean beyond that he 's one of the most creatively hyperactive people ever to play music. I mean his discography is unfathomable <laughs> i wouldn 't even I, I mean i wouldn 't even attempt to go down the the full omar uh, solo rabbit hole
0: I'm not um, right and i 've tried a few and I, and i 'm ha- happy with those
1: you know but to your point, like this is some of his most musical playing. And it is beautiful, and in you know, for a guy that has kind of a reputation um, for for chaos and for you know wild psychedelic effects, I mean, I mean, this is. This is almost poetic guitar playing.
0: Yes. Uh, And I love the way it runs through like a thread through Teflon. And then, you know, you pair that with Cedric's most direct and one of his catchiest choruses. And yeah, yeah, you've got a top five Mars Volta song. We both agree with that. I I love the rich, kind of lush, webbed vibe of Since We've Been Wrong. It opens the record very patiently. I think it's absolutely beautiful. It's been a sleeper Mars Volta song for me. I, I used to think, well, you know, slow, quiet beginning. Okay, then we get to Teflon, then I kind of forget about it, or I, that's that's how it used to be. But I, I'm just—it's so bloody sublime that I, um, I I'm coming to to stack that one along, you know, on, on the same sort of like level as the rest of these songs. So great opening. Anything to say about since we've been wrong?
1: Yeah, it it, it does sort of reveal its its riches. Um, um, in a more subtle way than, uh, than Teflon, but yeah, it's gorgeous. And I, and I, I guess we'll probably, this will probably come up over the, you know, the course of our conversation, but the recording on this album, um, is just breathtaking.
0: Yeah. And it's produced by, uh, as usual, uh, Omar, right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, mixed by Rich Costey, and Rich Costey is a mixer of great renown. Yes. Do we want to list his resume? I mean, I think he's worked with Muse, maybe. Um, uh, he's worked. He, I mean, he's been active since the '90s. Did he do something with Pearl Jam, like the binaural area or Riot Act? Maybe I'm. Maybe that's May maybe I'm. I'm I might. I might be wishful thinking because I really like that sweet spot in the middle of their catalog. Mm. But um, anyhow, Rich Costey, what else do you know
1: about him? I... Not, I mean, honestly, not a ton. Okay, I'm sure I I, okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure I own a number of records that he has mixed, but um, uh, know, maybe we can, uh, we can explore that more in the, the notes for the show.
0: Our radicality has um, gone down
1: a little bit there. We didn't really radically research him, did we? We did not radically research Rich Costing. Well,
0: we like his work on this album. Let's, uh, let's jump to the third <laughs> song, Halo of Nembatal. Now, Nembatal is a barbituate. I learned that recently because I just got curious about it. I always thought it was just a, a made-up word <laughs> by Cedric because, you know, the, we're not even going to get in the lyrics of Mars Volta. I, I just, it's almost unfathomable, impenetrable weirdness and symbolism uh, on a level that I, I think would
1: take like a year or two of research to really tra- properly
0: uh, unearth. I mean, are you with me there? I,
1: I don't know that, um, that you could really piece through it. I don't know how much is nonsense and how much is, you know, deep reference esoterica. But yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's an entirely different study altogether.
0: Yeah, let's listen to Halo of Nembatals. And I want uh, people to know that at the end of the snippet we're going to play, um, we're talking about his lyrics. And uh, I love the line, they, they sent in the necrophiliac. Anytime you're sending a necrophiliac to do a job, you, you're, you're in a very strange place.
1: I never want to be in a place where necrophiliacs are being sent in. <laughs> it's safe to say. I love Nembatals. It's
2: still not enough What a foul little temptress Your daughter's become of your bleed and still I'm not to let you go you cover your wounds in a bandage of sloth the deeper the slur that rang from her
0: sent in the necrophiliac <laughs> that's what they did that is so phantasmagoric and just plain pretty I don't know if I've used the word pretty for anything we've done in 52 episodes but that is it's gorgeous
1: it is and it, it shows a band that is sort of reconciling its own relationship with beauty um, I mean because you get the sense on a number of their albums you know that that really kind of uh, confrontational punk edge um but i mean you know they've never been shy about their influences and they love a lot of beautiful music and it's nice to hear them like settle into a place where they're comfortable exploring beauty on their own terms yeah and we've mentioned bedlam and goliath earlier
0: and um i love that album but it's just so forbidding and um even though there you do have the mars volta beauty the, the the lighter touch on on some of that um it's just it's just smothered in intensity and um just this this kind of like going for broke like like you almost think like omar and cedric know they're gonna die like as soon as the recording's over it's just this panicked, anxiety ridden album and this is not like even when it gets intense and groovy and heavy it's not that it's it's um I, I I find I, in the Mars Volta story, the discography, I find the most interesting jump from album to album being Goliath to this one.
1: Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Is and it I resp- don't know- Sorry, Go ahead. is it is it a response to Goliath, you think? I think so. Um I I hate to, you know, to read into their intentions because I, I have no idea of knowing, but of course. I don't know how much of the you know the backstory of Goliath is apocrypha and how much of it's fact but i mean it was according to the band a cursed record from the get-go yeah um and you feel that panic in that album and yeah i think maybe if uh however much of it is true they got out relatively unscathed and i think that maybe this is a yeah this is a way of responding to to that so halo of Nebatals like yet
0: another that uh, spotlights the members of the band and beyond Cedric and Omar. Do we want to talk about them a little bit? Uh, let's talk about first uh, Isaiah Ike Owens. I believe this was a, the last album they did with him, right? It was.
1: And it was he's since,
0: since passed. passed. He's yeah. since passed.
1: And he, I mean, he, he was a, a pretty important, I mean, he was, you know, around from the very, very beginnings, even like with De Facto. And um, I think he played a really important role in that band. And I think that Cedric and Omar leaned on him pretty heavily.
0: What I like about him, you know, and, and his role in the band, which was keyboards slash, you know, some piano, uh, some electric piano, really, that's what I think about when I think of Isaiah Ike Owens is his mm-hmm. sort of electric piano playing. He, he was the only member of the band that I would consider like reliably subtle and reliably earthbound. Like he sort of like he kind of grounded this band. Like he does some crazy shit along with him. You have to if you're playing with Mars Volta. But you know what I mean. Like he he he's that he's that like anchor to
1: reality. You you literally took the word out of my mouth. I was going to say that I feel like he anchored that band in a certain way. And, and then he was you know I, I like I said I think that Cedric and Omar relied on him um, to a certain extent um, to help articulate their vision. Absolutely.
0: And let's jump to Juan Alderete de Peña. Is that how we say it? Alderete? Alderete. Yeah, and this is the bassist, and he yeah. was also, I, this is one factoid I love about <laughs> Mars Volta. He was the bassist in Racer X, uh, you know, and and he's fantastic. I mean, he. I, I love this guy. If Flea's not going to play bass on Mars Volta records, which he has sometimes done, and we're glad about that because his, it's the best Flea that, that I know, but... If he's not going to do it, I want this guy to do it. I want Juan Juan to be there. Yeah, he's a brilliant musician. Yeah, absolutely. And let's move then to Thomas Pridgen, drummer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know you have a lot to say, so I'll I'll let you go.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, I have some issues um, with the tack that was taken on Bedlam, even though there, there's a part of me that thinks it might have been sort of appropriate, given the nature of that record. Um, but uh, I, I think he turns in a stunning performance on this, a very restrained and musical performance. I love the sound of his kit. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, you never know in Mars Volta how much Omar is directing the players. So what he did on Bedlam may not have been his choice. You know, Omar could have said, I want you to play as frantically as you can for the next, you know, 80 minutes.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. Make that, make make this thing sound like a collapsing building for 75 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, he's and I I agree with you. And I think he's adapting to the material. And and yeah, it all rests with Omar in terms of the structuring and the composing and certainly a lot of the directing. But I also, you know, having seen them live, having knowledge of their music through the six albums, like, you know, Omar is a a strong, strong leader, no doubt. And Cedric, of course, brings in his part where I don't think Omar even touches. I don't think Omar even cares what Cedric does in terms of lyrics and vocals. He knows it's going to be good. Uh, I think that's I've read something to that effect, boiled down, but the rest of the, the musicians in the band, I think he gives them a f- enough free reign where then we do get a kinetic band. you know what I mean like it never sounds it certainly never sounds overly sculpted or overly no. patterned right no. um, yet here we are talking about their most sculpted and their most patterned album in terms <laughs> of finessing and and just stripping down a little bit. We're going to jump to the fourth song with Twilight as my guide, which has to be a Blind Guardian song title somewhere in their catalog. Probably. B-side. I mean, come on. (laughs) Uh, But we do get something a little bit different. This is still Mars Volta. Um, Mr. Bixler-Zavala, Cedric, uh, right here. Gorgeousness. We get even further away from
1: goliath i mean this takes things back almost to like televators um oh yeah like yeah. a you know drumless wave of beauty
0: yeah for those that don't know that's the uh that's a song on the first album Loused, which is um that's a good call that's a that's a good call back because uh those those songs have parallels to each other uh, I, I like when mars volta gets there and they get there a lot on this album yet you know the next song they rattle us pretty hard Within the album, we have a great contrast between like this kind of gentle, floating beauty with twilight as my guide, and the really rocking Mars Volta that uh, we're going to hear again and next. Uh, a study in contrasts, which is what this band's kind of all about, in a way, right? Right. Not in a new metal way, where we have the the soft part and then the roar. You know, like it's, it's thank God it's not that.
1: We wouldn't be talking about it if it were.
0: <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, you know, they, 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 it's 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 a it's a real clever play with dynamics with this band, always teetering on the brink too. There, there, there's that there's that point where you're like, when is when does this collapse? When does this get scary again? You know what I mean? Right.
1: Well, and I think it speaks to sort of the conceptual side of the band that they put so much thought into the sequencing and the pacing of the record, and having these peaks and valleys.
0: Oh yeah, I mean they're they're you know, they're like us, they're old school people who believe in the album experience over anything else uh, in terms of music listening and enjoyment and experiencing from the 60s, 70s, the the album experience, right? This right. is they're huge into that. And you know, uh, to that point, they have used some some great artists to illustrate uh their music on, on their album covers and, and their packaging. You know, the 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 first two were done by Storm Thorgerson from Hypnosis. Uh may he rest in peace. Uh I mean, like, we should It'd be hard to do a show about that guy because it's so visual, and we don't do video. But um, man, all, all, all respect and love to
1: Storm Thorogson, right? Um, I, sometimes I just keep um, hypnosis artwork out on the piano by my record player just to look at it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's art. It, it's it. There are
0: pieces, man, and um, within art pieces, they're they're covering art pieces. The, the music itself. Yeah. So so he he did the first couple. Um, and on this album we have art by a guy named Jeff Jordan. This is gorgeous stuff. Uh, this is my favorite art on any Mars Volta album as well. This does not influence um, my recent Decision that this is my favorite Mars Volta album, Hunter. <clears throat> sorry. I love the artwork on this album. What? Where does it stand for you?
1: Uh, it Probably it, no, it, not probably it's my favorite as soon as this album was released, I bought a CD copy, I think, at Best Buy, the day it came out. And I think the next day I was hunting for the vinyl because I had to have it, you know, in a, a bigger scale.
0: Yeah. And not just the cover. The cover's great, but like I love the insides, like the two headed turtle with that with that three pronged, spiky, earthy thing coming out of his shell. Um mm-hmm. and just every every panel uh that's that's presented is is fantastic. And you get more on the on the vinyl as well. So very cool. So let's let's think about Twilight as my guide, as um, this really great contrast to the next song, the fifth song, "Code Epoxy." Is that how we say it? That's how I say it. I don't know if it's right. All right. Well, this is this this is how they do it. This is how they code epoxy. <laughs> Volta is Krieg. No, seriously, the the bloodthirst of of that beginning opening groove, it's it's I mean, it's scary.
1: That's one of the great threads that runs through Morris Volta is that that obvious love they have for the nastiest, funkiest 70s hard rock grooves. Oh, yeah.
0: And and they do them big. I mean, like you think of Amputexture's uh, viscera eyes. Yeah, uh, yeah, I good mean, call. Uh, and there, there are, there's, there's, there's one on every record. There's, there's one. I mean, there, if not two, but there's like these standouts. I mean, you know, of the big groove songs that just pound you. Is there one on on uh, Francis the Mute? I, I think in parts.
1: Um. Yeah. Uh, um. Um. God, the second song was Elvia. Yeah, Elvia.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: That's okay. pretty be rocking
0: has um the name's mm-hmm. escaping me there, yeah there's... i
1: know yeah the thing about nocturnicate though is um that like the the approach to rhythm on that album uh the this, the only uh album with um d'anthony parks um yeah. thomas Pridge left after this record and he he mutates and distorts and warps the rhythms in a way that no other drummer Mars Volta ever did. So you do, I think, I mean, it's, it's in their DNA, but he handles it in such a different way that it kind of escapes having that just elemental groove to it.
0: Are you ready to jump to the sixth song or do you have more yeah. to say about
1: Coda no, no, it speaks for itself. So moving on, um, we're getting toward the final stretch on the album. Um, this is the sixth song, um, "Desperate Graves," which takes us in yet another direction, less manic than "Code Epoxy," but with a, a chorus that I don't think has any direct parallel with any other Morris Volta song, in in my estimation. Mm, yep. um, it's got a—I a, a, don't know. I mean, and please feel free to correct me but um there's just something about it again it's a very direct song
0: i I think the part you're talking about i know it and it's and i think it's a singular thing i understand what you're saying uh they they never twisted anything up quite this way so here we go Mm -hmm. desperate graves
2: of my palms dressed in the slurs of bovine engines to feast upon the carcass of your mind
0: another <laughs> great slice of Volta
1: right there yeah and a, a, another it's it's the second shortest song in the record I love how they pace the ending too because you get you know sort of the longest stuff at the end of it um, yeah and, and, well anyway we'll we'll, we'll see um, the, uh, the final arc of the record but uh, yeah I think Desperate Graves is a really interesting and kind of unique little slice um, in the, the Mars Volta discography
0: for sure. It stands on its own. Uh, we'll, we'll move on. The one thing I did want to say about the cover artist, Jeff Jordan, he also did Mars Volta's Amputecture, their third album. He did, of course, their fourth album, The Bedlam and Goliath, which we've talked about quite a bit, and he did Octahedron. So it's a very particular style. It's it's, it's great. He also did the cover of Gamma Bomb's Tales from the Grave in Space in, uh, this same year. That's some, I think, Irish thrash band, maybe. And this is really most interesting to us. He did the cover for both Cole and bilateral by Leprous. So that's kind of a cool little tie in with uh, this artist. I wouldn't look at that and go bilateral, but then at the same time, I think about the cover of bilateral, which is really wonderful artwork. And I think, ah, that makes a ton of sense. It makes sense. Cole, probably less so. Yeah, Cole, I was a little surprised that this was Jeff Jordan, but apparently it is. All
2: right, Oh yeah, cool.
0: I bet you Leprous are listening to Mars Volta always. Oh, of course. You know they're way more stripped down, obviously, but um, I, I can I can see how the guys in that band would probably like Mars Volta quite a bit. Yeah, they're men of taste. They're men of taste, uh, as as are we, as are you. Thanks for hanging in. We got two more Mars Volta songs, and uh, you know the, the the best thing is it's great preaching to the choir, which we often do on a podcast like this, but um, it's it's also. The best thing when we get hear from people who are turned on to something that we've done and it's apparently happened a lot and um i hope there's somebody out there that's going to buy octahedron so um copernicus as you as you mentioned like this album really elongates and becomes even deeper with the listen the full listen that we prefer to do with it copernicus is um there's a level of delicacy to it that i consider sort of mew like m-e-w
1: mew mm-hmm. But then, of course, it goes elsewhere. Yes. <laughs> as, uh, as Morris Volta songs tend to do. yet more unfettered beauty from Mars Volta. Um, I, I think in some ways the, the chorus to Copernicus is my vote for the single prettiest moment on this album. Um, it's almost dreamlike.
0: For, for a band that's as sublime as they are, this, this is a song that gets even deeper into that world for me. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm with you completely. I think Cedric's Voice. This is this is a voice we love. There are some people out there that don't don't love it, don't get it. But this, the, to me, he's he's probably the most important and interesting and engaging sort of new quote-unquote new singer uh, since the 90s passed. You know what I'm saying? In, into the aughts into the teens. Uh, I don't think there's been a younger a, a young vocalist in a relatively new band. And I think of new bands as like if you're if you if you came on the scene in the last 20 years, you're kind of a new band. Um, <laughs> But I, I think he's just one of the best, if not the best, and he's one of the most engaging, if not the most engaging, of anybody that's come along in, in those years. And um I, we hear we hear why he's so special on a song like Copernicus.
1: I would um happily co-sign everything you just said. <laughs> um I, I mean I'll have the paper in the mail to you tomorrow. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but I mean it it's you know, it's sort of like an like an Oyvind situation where Uyvind. how many? Um, yeah, from uh, Spiral Architect.
0: Okay, don't don't assume that everybody listening knows Oyvind from Spiral Architect the way you do. I mean, you 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 run through Spiral Architect lyrics in your sleep, buddy. So just
1: sorry. Let's just educate. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I, I have been known. I have been known to make assumptions. <laughs> um, but but it, it's so uncommon to find a vocalist that's able to take music of, of This kind of complexity. I mean, obviously, the two very different bands, but both, um, you know, very thorny in scale and landscape and write really, really deep hooks. I mean, hooks that stay with you for days. And Cedric's always had a talent for that, even when Mars Volta is at their their most unhinged. Cedric's always been there to sort of bring things back. Yeah, you you make a great point.
0: And I think drawing a parallel with Oyvind from Spiral Architect is a great choice. I think of Scott Jeffries from Confessor, where he's navigating this really impossible stuff and coming up with viable lines. It'd be very hard for most vocalists to do that. I think Alan Tecchio does it to some degree on Watchtower's control and resistance as well. And it's funny that we're naming all these like complex technical metal bands uh, in comparison with Mars Volta, but there is there's a parallel there simply because of the complexity and the knotted framework that these singers have to <laughs> grapple with, and yet they come out smelling real good. <laughs> hey man, we're recording this one in the morning. We hardly ever record in the morning, so maybe you can, maybe you can tell. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I don't think we've ever recorded in the morning. We, in fact, we've only recorded during broad daylight a handful of times.
0: Yeah, we've done daylight a couple of times, but this is the first morning one.
1: I, I like it. Yeah, I dig it too, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good in the morning because my coffee's still uh, in my system.
0: Yeah, coffee, eggs, Mars Volta—it's great.
1: Yep. Uh, so
0: here we go with Luciforms. Now this is another like since we've been gone. The opener, this closer, Luciforms—great title, by the way is a sleeper for me like this is one that i didn't really get to know right away or, or have much affection for right away i knew i liked it for me the meat of the album is always two through seven everything we've just kind of been listening to and um this has grown for me so much over the years the last listen i took of it was the one where i thought we have to do an episode on this album because this is a very sort of stealthily complex song. This goes through a number of permutations and transformations throughout its, what is it, seven minutes, eight minutes? What is this one?
1: Yeah, it's it's over eight minutes.
0: Yeah, and um, it's wonderful. And, and there's just, again, there's no other song like this in the Mars Volta catalog. Uh, nothing that I could say, hey, this is sort of similar to this one from this album. Not really. Um, no. I also think this one predicts two things. I think it predicts some of the... Like just when you thought Mars Volta was strange, we get Nocturnic at Mars Volta. That's what I think this kind of sort of leans toward. There's also parts in this song that remind me of Anti-Mask, which was the one-off album that Cedric and Omar did a few years later. Not entirely successful record creatively, in my opinion, although it has some great moments. And I think parts, parts of Luciforms get me there. So probably not foreshadowing on their part intentionally, but um i'm picking up scenes of futures cedric and omar here what about you Mm -hmm.
1: oh yeah for sure for sure but i mean you know that's cedric and omar too i feel like especially omar is always looking for the next thing i mean in fact he started writing um octahedron while they were working on bedlam and then shelved it because you know bedlam turned out to be such a you know a, a thwarted record but uh yeah, I feel like he's always looking at that next step, and I mean, it's kind of like um, like vital signs on moving pictures.
2: Mm, um, yeah, it's
1: yeah, kind of moving. You know, it's like they knew where they were going to head next, and like they just go ahead and build a bridge.
0: It's kind of yeah, moving the vital signs and on moving pictures is a is a really excellent thing to note. I'm glad you brought that up because this is this is exactly what Luciforms does too. Vital signs was like, okay, here we are in '81. This is still '81, but this is the one song on the record where this could be 84 for us. And, and it right. and indeed, indeed it was. And um, yeah, here we go. Let's, uh, let's, let's cut the, the chatter off. Let's do some luciforms. Okay, So as we're listening, we haven't mentioned John. How do you say his last name? The guy from Red Hot Chili Peppers. I thought it was Freshante, but. Freshante. We'll just say Freshante, John Fru. Jay Fru. Jay Fru. He is, along with Flea, obviously members of Red Hot Chili Peppers, a band that I think both Hunter and I either detest or just very
1: much dislike. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. What um, he's I, said. I, I would say at their very best, I deeply, deeply disliked them.
0: Blood Sugar Sex Magic is an album I've always had a lot of respect for. I think it's a Rubin album as much as it is a, a Chili Peppers album. Mm-hmm. That's one that, like, I'll never argue against that. I'll never say a bad word about it. I just don't like Chili Peppers. I think I was into that album for a little while when it came out because it was in the air and I was around people that were listening to it a lot. But I don't know, man. That band that band kind of sucks. But but um, here we are, John Fru and Flea absolutely amazing musicians so is chad smith you know that band was full of great musicians there's no doubt about that um but they are flea and john uh, have guested on mars vault albums since uh since the early days and sure. we were wondering as we were listening to luciforms coming out of that that guitar work there if that's john fru or if it's omar i think it's john
1: it it sounds like John. Um, if you think of the stuff that he did, like on again, Elvia ripping just, ass is what he does on that song. R- ripping ass, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to, to put it in the most technical terms, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think it would it would make sense to like sort of bring the album to a climax with with his obviously fantastic guitar playing.
0: Yeah, yeah, he he really does lend a. a it's just a climactic element of excitement to their stuff. So does Cedric, but Cedric's more free form, kind of like flowy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, improvised sort of thing where John's leads tend to be maybe a little more written, a little more composed, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just conjecture, but um, yeah. So <laughs> all that to say what a fantastic solo spot. And I, you know, to me, you know, you're going to get something special in the buildup to it before you even hear a solo because that part that we played you from Luciforms, I think is one of my favorite parts in music period. Let's just it's be go, pretty let's, amazing. Let's go beyond Mars Volta's discography itself. And just, I just, I, this, this is why I listen to music so much and so deeply because of moments like this, albums like this, songs like this. And I wanted, I wanted to point out the, uh, the great line that Cedric uh, reels off in this one, um, Gordian knots in the power lines. Now, <laughs> now, did did omar or john whoever played that solo kind of give musical voicing to that very line that's that solo was gordian knots in the power lines whatever the fuck that is here we have it
1: i could very easily see omar saying all right john i need this solo to sound like gordian knots in a power line
2: (laughs) he's like "Uh, okay uh
1: all right (laughs) uh do you have drugs to help me with that
0: (laughs) Let me, can I, let, let me ask you something before we before we uh sign off uh for this episode because i don't know but do you think drugs drug intake drug experiences of any kind um i would think more on the psychedelic side but do you think they had any um bearing or influence on the music of mars volta do you know or do you i have
1: I, a, I know for a fact um that they did early on in fact um omar and and i'll try to find the interview because i I do remember reading this because it 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 struck me um he said that he was doing so much cocaine that he had developed an involuntary twitch um and he he just said that like the habit got completely out of his hands without his even realizing it Hmm. um but yeah i mean there's another story about um omar and cedric back when they were El Paso I think they were probably in high school or whatever listening to Led Zeppelin's in the light off a of physical graffiti and they said they were um, in like a living room and that basically a wormhole like the floor collapsed and a wormhole opened up um, so yeah I, I think that drugs and, and I think it's important what you said too, the, the distinction between taking drugs and drug experience because yeah and I think that You don't have to take drugs if you some 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 experiences just stay with you and they sort of change the way you see things. Um, And, I, you know, even though I think they're probably both sober now, those experiences stuck with them.
0: Sure. I mean, really great psychedelic or progressive music or experimental music, a lot of it's been made sober and I'm not, you know, we're not advocating that only great music can be made under the influence of drugs. However, you know, I have past experience with psychedelics. Certainly Um, I I don't do them anymore, but um, I'm, I'm generally for altered states of consciousness if that's your choice. And if you do it safely, hopefully you do. And you, and and hopefully you do it for the experience rather than it is, you know, some kind of, fucking dumb escape or you know i'm having problems i'm just gonna do you know which is why any kind of altered state can sometimes pair really well with music so when i hear music like mars volta you know i i don't automatically go oh those guys must be so fucked up like that's really trailer trash thinking what i do think is they must have had some psychedelic experiences uh yeah you know i I, you you mentioned cocaine I, i don't consider cocaine a very creative drug i I, it's kind of destructive whereas like something like shrooms or acid like um people have created music on that stuff and it's it's stood the test of time really well sure Uh, and this just i don't know there's something about mars volta's music that is very much uh transportive in a psychedelic way i guess that's what i'm trying to say
1: no question
0: well, thank you, Mars Volta for Octahedron. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Hunter, for uh, your enthusiasm about Mars Volta all these years. You're one of the very first people that brought De Laos to my attention when it came out. Were you a fan of At the Drive-In before Tremulant EP and then therefore d- before De Laos?
1: Oh yeah, yeah big time. Um, okay, and, I mean, and, and I don't endorse the full At the Drive-In discography. In fact, like some of the early stuff, almost kind of an emo vibe to it, but like I, I got Relationship of Command when it came out and I was obsessed with it because they hit a lot of like things that I love, like um, Nation of Ulysses and mm-hmm. Drive Like Yahoo, um, and it, it, it kind of put a new spin on, on things that were already familiar to me. But I immediately realized that these these were like two important musicians.
0: They're fantastic. We can't say enough about them. And I think we've set our piece here. So thanks everyone for listening. Please visit radicalresearch.org. It's um, <clears throat> becoming a little bit more of a fun site. We've got some some great blogs in there. If you missed it during our hiatus, we posted Hunter's piece on Solafold's Neonism. And I'm, I'm gonna guarantee it's one of the most heady pieces of, of writing about a metal album you'll ever read. I, I'm very proud of you for doing that. And, um, you know, we're selling a few things on uh, the store that we now have on radicalresearch.org. We are constantly updating playlists. We listen feverishly. And, uh, I, you know, you know, Honor, I want to say something. This is not important, but I probably ingested more music in the last two weeks than I have in my entire life. Because, I, as you know, I went up to see Ken Gold, and you unfortunately could not join me. I got turned on to a lot of music that I was kind of ready for. I was ready for some new prog, some new fusion mostly stuff from the 70s. thought I'd mind all that out and I, I realized that I have not. I'm having a few days alone here at home. It's been very quiet and I have just been on a tear. I've stopped book writing for a few days. I've stopped everything. I am just literally, I can't get enough. And how do, how is that, how can that happen to a 51-year-old who's been so enmeshed in music all his life?
1: Because it, it speaks to the enduring power of music. Um, and, and I, you know, we live in, i guess let's just say complicated times um and you know we we've all I, I would imagine have experienced life in in ways that we never have before i think that's pretty much a universal experience through all this mm-hmm. um and it just says something that it, through you know any of the the trials any of the changes you know, music is just there to to keep us going It's man's
0: greatest contribution and it's I think it's man's, for me, this man, uh, my absolute favorite experience in in life. Um, Moving beyond that, next episode, episode 53, we're gonna get back to Norway. We're gonna do an A-B between Vedwin Zenda's Written in Waters album from, I believe, 95. uh, And we're gonna jump back and forth between that and Virus's Carhartt from, I think, what is that, a 2003? 2003, yeah. I have become really fascinated with Carhartt. I have known the Bedwood album. I hope that's how we say VBE. Uh, I have known that album since it came out. And I'm ch- I think there are a lot of links there. There's some obvious ones, but there are some just fun links. And in some ways, I think of Carhartt as the second VBE album. Mm. As strange as that may sound. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. I can't wait. Always good to take
1: a trip to Norway.
0: Let's do it. Maybe we'll stay there for a while. I could do that.